Hey guys. Good to see everybody this morning. Oh, we're just chatty chatty. It's I love it. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but now it's my time to chat. No, that's okay. Awkward conversation to myself, awkward conversation to myself, and giving people time, giving people time, and now I'm going to insist that we get going. Yeah, that's, that's pastor thinking right there. Hi, everybody. So good to see you. Uh, why don't you open up your Bibles to Matthew 22? I think Matthew 22, right? We're going to get into it in a second, but if you want to find a Bible, it's down there, Matthew 22. You can pull it up. Oh, boy. Sweater weather. Who, what? Oh, Lenore said something this morning. She said, Fallelujah. <laughs> so credit to Lenore. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, Fallelujah. We are here, and it is beautiful out. Um, well, there are, uh, we're like two weeks into this new series. This is week two. Um, we're doing this series. It's really on prayer. It's called Meet with God because you can't just call it a series on prayer. It's called Meet with God. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, it's more than just a sermon series. Like We're, we're, we're thinking about prayer uh, not just on Sunday mornings like in terms of our teaching time, but this is a season where I'm hoping that I-90 can really focus on prayer. Um, we've launched um, monthly on Thursday, first Thursday of every uh, month, a prayer and worship night. Um, we had our first one uh, last October, or October 7th, or last October, October 7th. Uh, it was great. It was like, it was small, but it was, it was awesome. It was really, really great. And so, like, honestly, if you just want to, to build some time in to, to worship the Lord, to, to pray, and to have, like, a time of connection with God, then try to come out. Um, uh, the next one is going to be in November, first Thursday of November, which is, I don't know, look at a calendar. It's, not, it's, it's, it's what? The second. Yeah. Abby's birthday. <laughs> um, so... We are going to be a part of that, and now we have these small groups going. Um, we're going through John Mark Comer's uh, prayer practice uh, video series, but not just a video series, like, like a whole uh, program to help you develop a prayer life if, if you don't have one, or if you already have one, to go take the next step. Um, it's really great material. I've heard a lot of good feedback. Once you get over the Portlandiness of it, it's great. I have trouble with it because I'm a snob, but we all know that. And you're just like, you don't have to wear a shirt that that's that long. It's not necessary. That's just my opinion. I'm just putting it out there and we'll move on. Um, so if you missed the first one, like some of the groups started uh, uh, earlier, you might have missed the first one. That's okay. You can still join in. You can still catch up. We'll even let you watch the videos so you don't feel like you're, you're not caught up. And then the group that I, I'm leading uh, is, is happening... Um, it was, was going to happen Mondays, but that didn't work for, like, anyone. So we moved it to Sunday night. So, so we're having our first meeting tonight over there in the other building at 6.30, if you want to join that group. Um, so you're welcome to. Uh, but make no mistake, if, you are, uh, if you're not in those groups, you know, um, we are still going to be drilling down on Prayer Die 90. You know, I, I think that's a great way to grow, but um, we are still going to, to take time, take a couple of months here, no matter what, if you're in the group or not, to grow in prayer. And my prayer is for us and for you as individuals is that we can take an, another step and find in that another step, not just of like obedience, like, oh, I do the discipline of prayer, but find intimacy and joy in prayer. That's my, my, my hope. I'm not just saying, I just want to make sure you guys are doing your quiet times, right? I want you to feel like you're meeting the Lord. 
And so, so this is like a season, and I'm just putting it out there as an invitation. I want you a part of this. Uh, if you come here all the time, you come here occasionally, like I want to invite you into a life with God, a life of prayer and intimacy and connection with him. It uh, doesn't mean you have to be in a group so that you ha- have to go to those prayer nights, but I'm going to plead with you, no matter what can fit in your calendar, um, we can take steps together to be people of prayer, more so than we have in the past. And I'm going to plead with you, would you, would you please like, just like, seek the Lord for that? Ask, ask God, go before God and just say, God, how is it that you're calling me to grow through the rest of this year, through what remains of this year? And what meaningful ways can you take steps towards prayer? That's what I'm asking you to think about and pray about. Um, I came across this quote this week from George MacDonald, um, and it stopped me in my tracks, and I've been, I've been thinking over it in my head ever since. And so here it is. Though Jesus Christ is very hard to satisfy, he's very easy to please. Think of that, and it will help you a little. He's very easy to please, but very hard to satisfy. If you will but let him in, and you have not much to put on the table, you cannot share much of life because you have uh, not got it, he will be so pleased if it be but a cup of cold water that you can give him. Let it be something genuine, something real. Maybe you've never really, like, resolved, put your flag in the ground and said, no, I'm going to, like, step into prayer. I'm going to grow into a a relationship with God. I'm going to become a person who has intentionally and and, uh, assertively developed a prayer life. Maybe you've never, never taken that step. And maybe that's because you feel unable, you feel unequipped, you feel like you're not like of a certain temperament that you're spiritual enough to have a, have a, a, a robust prayer life. Whatever the thing is that you point to, the obstacle in your way, what I want you to know is that Jesus is easy to please. He delights in even the little that we bring him when we do it sincerely. So he delights even in our, in our sense of inability and, and not, not able to just be who we're called to be. But he delights when we come to him in faith. And we just say, Lord, I, I am who I am. This is what I have to offer. I, I know that you can make something of it. He is pleased when we do that, even with the little that we have. He's not just pleased when we come as super mature, like, oh, Lord, check me out. Check out my spiritual muscles. How cool am I? That's not, like, that's not what delights him. What he delights him is taking steps of faith. He delights in the little we bring because he knows that as, he knows that as we bring little, we are going to be growing to people who will continue to grow, who will become mature over time, who will continue to worship and seek him. When we develop that habit of just saying, I just want to bring you something real. I just want to bring you something genuine. I just want to seek you in, in the little things, Lord. He delights in that. So... And this is a long introduction, but I'm really just keep on pressing with you. Do not let discouragement, a feeling of inability, or, or whatever the thing is, keep you from a life with God, a prayer life, because Jesus delights in it, even in the simple steps that we take towards him. Even in things we say, why does God need 10 minutes of my day? He doesn't need it. He wants, he wants 10 minutes to put in you and develop in you love for him.
That's what he wants. He knows that if you bring him those 10 minutes in faith, genuinely seeking him, he can do something with that. He won't be, won't be satisfied with that. It's not like, oh, well, that's what he wants, and then he's done. No, he wants the little that we come with in faith, and he's going to do great things with that. So, with all that said, could you open up Matthew 22, verse 1 through, I think it's 14. Uh, but it's a parable that we're going to read together, um, a parable commonly called the parable of the wedding feast. Um, and here's what I'd like us to do as we, as we I'm not going to put it up here. I'm just going just to write that up there. Um, I want you guys to all stand with me, and I'm just going to read this slowly, and I just ask you to listen or read along if you've got it in front of you. Um, because I really, as, as I was preparing this message, I just feel like this is, this is a word for us today, for I-90 today. Um, so would you just like listen to God's word and just like say, okay, Lord, what do we have? So let's pray and then, and then we'll, we'll read this together. Uh, Lord Jesus, we stand, <laughs> we stand before you, Lord, thankful for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you're not easily satisfied. You don't just have us like, you just don't, you don't want just like 10% of us. <laughs> you look for, for all of us. And yet, Lord, you don't expect us right now to be able to give you all of ourselves, Lord. But you delight in the small steps of faith that we take. And so, Lord, we, uh, we want your spirit within us. We want you to, to put us on a pathway of growth, meeting us where we are. We, we want to not be the same at the end of this season of seeking you as a church and, and, and seeking to grow in prayer. We just come to you confident that you're able to, to lead us towards the next step. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you in this place right now. Lord, we open up our ears and our hearts to you. We're going to listen to your word. Lord, your word is life. It's truth. It's, 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 um, it's everything we need. It sustains us, God. So speak to us now. Matthew 22, verse 1. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summit those invited to the banquet, but they did not want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went away. One to his own farm, another to his business, and while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent out his troops, killed those murderers, and burned down their city. And then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the road exits the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. And the wedding banquet was filled with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. 
you can be seated. Boy, parables are a lot of fun, right? They're a lot of fun. There's a lot to go, oh, parties, great. Ooh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Huh, interesting party. <laughs> um, Jesus used parables oftentimes to teach. They were an important, they were like his, the media of the day. His way to just like bring about vividness and clarity to what he was trying to say. And many times in the Gospels, we hear parables. And oftentimes, we, not long after hearing those parables, Jesus teaching those parables, he interprets them for us so that we know what they're about. Not, not so with this parable. That said, I think it's somewhat clear, and I think we can go through this parable this morning and glean some things that will be helpful. So let's just begin at the beginning, because that's, I think, a good place to start. He begins by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. I mean, Jesus, I mean, if we read the gospels, it becomes very clear. Jesus is talking about himself. He's the son. And the king is God the Father, sending his son into the world, and it's, in that act of sending, it's like throwing a wedding banquet, throwing a big party. The father has sent the son to proclaim salvation, grace, kindness, mercy, forgiveness of sin, adoption in. It's a big party. It is a cause for celebration. God is establishing through Jesus Christ the kingdom of God on earth. And it's like a groom coming for his bride and a celebration to be had, Jesus coming. It's a reason for a party. But according to the parable, there's, there's a problem. There's a problem, and that's that those who have been invited to the party, who were told that, hey, party time's coming, it's going to be great. They knew all about it. What they did is they just were like, oh, yeah, we'll be there. And then on the day of the party, when it was time to come, they just didn't show up. Or they sent in their RSVP with regrets. So sorry, can't make it. They uh, were told, come to the wedding banquet. But it goes on and says, but they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business. I think I have a slide for this. Um, and while the rest seized his servants, mistreated him, and killed them. So Jesus' parable begins by taking aim at a group of people who just should have known. They should have known. And I mean, in the context, it becomes clear he's talking very directly about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these religious leaders in Israel who had, at least ostensibly, at least according to them, had been waiting for God's kingdom to come, for God to move, to send their Messiah. They had been waiting for the invitation. But they had become so consumed with their business with their own agendas, that when the day of celebration comes, when the invitation is sent, when the gospel, the good news is proclaimed, the sun is here, the wedding feast is on, let's go, what do they do? They not only don't come, they kill the messengers. They oppose them. They say, ah, there's no party happening, we're, we're too busy, no way. And we could think that, well, certainly that applies to them at that point, but we would be foolish 
to think that Jesus is merely describing a problem that was relevant to those people at that time. We talked uh, last week about the fact that um, if we're going to pray, we need to understand that we're really just called not just to have a little part of our lives, the spiritual life, but we're called to live as spiritual people, to live a life of attention to God, to live a life with God where we're, we're meeting with him regularly. That is a part of our, our being, our nature, what we were created for. It's part of your created purpose. Your purpose is to interact with and relate with and know God. But so oftentimes we just miss that. We're blind to our purpose. And that's exactly what these people did. They had traded their their life with God, their calling, their purpose, the thing that God had told them, this is happening, I'm going to deliver, I'm going to come and reestablish you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bring wholeness to to Israel and my people. They traded a life with God for a a life of just busyness, a life of, of doing instead of being with God, a life of just like, chasing after, after um, things of this world instead of a life of, of, of seeking the Spirit and listening to the Lord. Ronald Rollheiser uh, comments on this, this parable. He says this, In the scriptural parable of the wedding banquet, we see that all of the people who were initially invited to the feast ended up missing the banquet. Their failure to show up was due solely to busyness. The feast was going on, but they were too preoccupied with measuring land, testing oxen, and going on honeymoons. No offense to people who recently went on honeymoons. Um, Not that we know anyone who did that. Uh, (laughs) They were so busy with that to take too much notice. Uh, Simply put, agendas get in the way of wonder, and pragmatic concerns severely reduce it. When life is dominated by the headaches, pressures, and concerns for making a living, running a household, meeting schedules, and measuring up to the demands of an achievement-oriented culture, then there will be a constant pressure to manipulate things rather than to just wonder at them. What Rollheiser suggests um, is that to be people who are present at the banquet people who are are meeting with God, who are responding to his invitations and his work in our life. We need to be people who are not so consumed with our agendas and with our performance-oriented rat race of a culture. But I think it's also worth noting uh, and thinking through this, because he's not just saying that it's impossible to be busy and have a spiritual life. Like The application here is not... Just become a monk. Just quit your job. Just, you know, ignore those children and their needs to, to, to be educated. And, you know, just stop doing all the things you're involved in. That's not, that's not, please don't hear that. In fact, I think I have a little, a little slide that sort of thinks about the math. What, what Rollheiser is saying is that the problem is not busyness itself. The problem with busyness is that it ends up robbing us of, of what he calls wonder. And you might not like that word, I get it, but that's the word he used. Busyness ends up captivating our hearts. It ends up getting our, all of our attention. It ends, us, uh, ends up uh, co-opting our, our hopes. It ends up just dominating our desires. Busyness gets us into this loop 
where, man, it's all we can think about is getting the next thing done. And if we set ourselves up to be busy, we will be, and I think this is just a fact, we will be shaped by that busyness. We will be shaped by the culture that is driving us to perform. We will be discipled by the urgent demands of life, getting stuff done. That's what will shape and form us. So the question is, how busy are you? And the answer, I'm sure, to a, to a person in the room is very. I feel very busy most of the time. But that's not what matters. It's not that how busy you are. The question that really matters is, how's your wonder? Or this question, does God have any of your attention? Or is your attention so being drained out of you by the busyness of life? Because again, like, if we have busyness and it takes away our wonder, then we're going to struggle to have a life with God, a life where we show up at the party, a life where we're living into the purpose that we have to, to, to be present with him, to, to enjoy him. But we can be busy as long as we have wonder, as long as we have attentiveness, as long as we're seeking after him, we can still be busy and enjoy a life with him. That's the distinction. So let me ask you this question. This Tuesday... I just chose Tuesday at 10 a.m. I feel like that's, we're all in it at that point. If that's not what, if that you, you take your day off on Tuesday, choose another day where you're busy. Tuesday at 10 a.m., if you are suddenly walking down the road or drinking a cup of coffee and you just feel the Holy Spirit say, I need you to take an hour and pray right now, what will you do? Does God have the right to impose on your time and your agenda? Does he have that right? Or will you just say, God, I'm just, I can't right now. I'm just so busy. I'm so into this thing. And I'm not saying like a casual, oh, I, sh I should. Or it's like, man, God just makes it so clear. You, you got it right now. You got to give me some attention right now. Like, what will you do? Or will you, be so, um, will you be so consumed with things that you shut that down? Or will you just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to give you something, some of my attention, some of my wonder. I'm going to be present to you in this moment. Until we safeguard our wonder that is God with us, the fact that he talks to us, the fact that he wants to meet with us, until we just say, no, that, and that's the most important thing in my life, I think we, we risk too much. If you are so busy that you are uninterruptible, that you don't have time to take these simple steps of faith, simple things of, of responding to what God has uh, in prayer, then I, I think um, you are setting yourself up to miss out on the party that is life in the kingdom of God. Simple interruptibility. And I'm not saying you have to do that all the time. I'm not saying, so you got to take Tuesday at 10 a.m. and just like blow up your life. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, but if God were to show up, if he were to give you an invitation to something good to meet with him, are you interruptible enough to actually go and be a part of what he has? So I want to give you two practical ways to, to think about unbusying yourself enough to preserve your availability, your wonder to God. 
This, uh, this is a challenge to you. This first one is a challenge. It's sort of like what I said. I want you to waste one hour, one hour that you would be really doing something else important. Would you waste that hour with God and let it hurt a little? Let it maybe let some of your other expectations in life down? And then just, just it's, it's an exercise, okay? This is an exercise. The point is not to do it. The point is to say, how do you feel when you do it? If you just say, you tell someone right before you're supposed to meet with them, I'm sorry, I can't meet with you, I have to pray. Maybe, maybe you don't have to tell them why. I mean, it's not, you don't want to do it performatively, right? But I'm just saying, how will you feel if you let God interrupt? Because I think this is the thing. Is if we're so consumed with busyness and so consumed with our desires being shaped after busyness, then we have to confront that some way. And honestly, you better do it intentionally or else you'll never do it when, it's, when God's actually calling you. Like, let's, let's, do, let's do this this week. Just, just disappoint someone and just live with that. And just say, ooh, that hurts. And then ask yourself, but is it worth it to be attentive enough to God that I could disappoint people who expect things of me? Because I really think unless we get that priority straight, that God has the right to, to invade my time. Oh, I have two students who have a paper due this week. I know it's about to happen. I set myself up for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But like, honestly, like, like when I was in high school, I mean, I, I was a goody two-shoes, you know? Like I, would, I, I had anxiety dreams about turning in papers, right? Because my heart was so consumed and shaped after my busyness and my need to please people. And if God had told me while I was getting something done, hey, I want you to pray, I would have just said, no, God, I, I have to, this is, I'm on a deadline here. But every day is full of deadlines. So when does God have time? That's all. That's just a question to ask yourself. So I'm saying, blow up your life a little bit, disappoint some people, and then just sit with that feeling and just say, God, this is worth it. It's, it's... You don't need my whole life. You don't need to throw out my whole life, but you probably do need a right to invade my agenda and, and ruin things a little bit, to overturn my commitment to things that are less than you. So sit with that. And the other thing is, if you really want to... Um, concertedly address your busyness problem, and we all have one, um, then I would challenge you to develop what's called a rule of life, which is just simply a set of habits of prayer and worship where you're identifying your priorities in terms of commitment, and then you are, um, you are building accountability around those things. Um, I think I have another slide here. Uh, that kind of really, it's, it's, it's really simple. It's like writing down what do you want to have as a priority in your life? So what habits do you want to integrate in your life? So it's not just habits though. It's also specifically identi identifying the times and frequencies when you're going to have those habits. So if it's, a, if it's like, I want to pray, then I want to pray for X amount of minutes every X day, maybe every three days. I'm not, I'm not suggesting what it should be. I'm saying pray about it. Do that, and then take the third step of developing accountability with someone who is not in, in your family necessarily, so that they can check in with you and say, hey, how's it going doing X amount of X for X amount of time? That's a confusing math problem. You can't solve for X and that. Different variables. Sorry, X, Y, Z. Um, 
how is it going with accountability? And then collaboration, if you are not single, if you are in a family, collaborate with your family. Don't just like set up a whole thing and then not tell your wife about it, right? That's a problem. <laughs> um, so that's it. Like, I mean, I mean, come up with a robust um, idea of the, of the spiritual life that you want to have, the steps that you can take, and then build something into it. Um, I told Justine just before this that I was going to use her garden as a little illustration, and this is it. So Justine uh, Gardens, grew up in eastern Washington, you know, everybody's growing things over there all the time. Uh, <laughs> and so she, she lives over in North Bend and like in the woods, and so she has a, a beautiful garden. And it is, it, is, it is awesome, and we enjoy stuff from it sometimes. So thank you. Uh, but it's in the woods, right? So it's not that she just planted something and just said, it's going to grow, it's going to be great. She planted something, and then she built a real big fence around it. There's a fence around the garden. Why is that? Why is there a fence around the garden? Because things come in and eat what's planted. It's one thing to say, I'm going to put a little habit in the ground, and it's going to grow. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to pray every day for an hour. Oh, it's going to be a fruitful tree. It's going to be awesome. But the thing is, like, there's a lot of bears and rabbits and deer that are going to come in and encroach on your little habits. They're just going to eat them right up. So you got to build a fence. A rule of life is just saying, I need something more robust than just a habit. I need a habit, and then I need protection for that habit. And so the protection is people around you, it's accountability with your family, it's actually like collaboration and, and, and saying, okay, if I'm going to make this a priority, then I'm not going to just make it a priority, which is I'm going to feel like it should be a priority, and then I'm not going to do anything to actually make it a priority. It's I'm really going to nuke this habit. I'm going to make sure that it gets done, so I'm going to be specific and accountable for it. Um, there's two, I have a, two books that I recommend. One of them is in the back. They're both by the same um, author. Um, if you are um, like just, just single and you want to come up with a rule of life, the book on the left there, the blue book, The Common Rule, um, is a really good resource to help you think through and develop uh, a, a rule of life. And the book on the right is one specifically for families. So if you're a family and you want to kind of develop a rule of life that your family can keep together, that considers your particular stage of life. Um, that one's in the back. You can take a look at it. Um, go through those things. It's just a matter of being really practical and making the time for it because busyness will really, it will really rob us of uh, things that we don't want to be robbed of, of some of the, the joy of a life with God. So let's get back in the text here. Um, we go along in this parable. We see that... It, it's not only a warning to those who were too busy. There's a second part of this parable. It's not just those who are unavailable, uh, unavailable to God. In the second half of this parable, we, we see that the king says, okay, these people aren't going to show up. New plan. And what he does is this. He tells his servants, go then to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So in this parable of the kingdom, the king decides, man, if those who, who were invited won't come, then I just want to fill up this party because this is a party. It's a reason for a celebration. Um, so, so he sends his servants out to invite in all these people, anybody who wants to come to the banquet. I can't help but think of John 1. It's kind of capturing this dynamic. It says this, 
uh, he was in the world, that is Jesus. Jesus was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of men, but of God. See, here's the thing. These other people who are invited to the party, that's you. That's you guys. You guys are just the other people. You are the have-no-business-being-here types of people who, man, these other people, the people of God who, who like knew about the Messiah and they knew this feast was coming, they didn't want to show up, so we're going to bring in a whole group of other people. We are the types who got invited to the feast. We didn't know who Jesus uh, was. We didn't know what a Messiah was. We thought it was a, a menu item on an Indian restaurant. Uh, that's funny. I thought of that last night. I, wanted, I was like, I got to do that. <laughs> I had Indian food, so. Um, but, but at some point, at some point, each of us who were, had no business connecting with God, we, we had no sense that he cared anything about us. Uh, maybe we had some vague idea that oh, maybe there is a God, but he's probably really angry. We hear this gospel, this good news that actually this, this God we thought was angry. He's super powerful. He's like gets pretty angry at stuff and throws lightning bolts and stuff. Uh, all of a sudden we hear, actually, no, that's not what he's like at all. In fact, he's throwing a party and we're invited to the party. We hear this good news. There's a banquet, banquet feast. It's all about the son. The son who's come for his bride, and we are invited to be a part of something. And when we're there, it's great. There's life. There's joy, adoption, hope. It's the kingdom of God. It is the power of God. It is life in the spirit. It is wonderful to be a part of the party, especially when you have no business being there. It is crazy that we would have such an invitation. But something happens in the parable. It goes on. The servants went out to the roads. They gathered together everyone they found, both evil and good. They were totally, anybody, evil, good person? Okay, yeah, yeah, come on. Oh, there's some really evil people, you know? He just said to come. Anybody can come. The wedding banquet was so filled with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. And the servants bring in the good and the evil, right? They bring in the good and evil, totally wildly indiscriminate. Any loser, drunk, anybody who's a Broncos fan even um, can, <laughs> can come in. Uh, they bring them all in. I'm sorry, do we have Broncos? Did I offend? No, good. <laughs> no, not allowed. Russell Wilson, you can have him. Uh, I don't know anything about football. It's like, like literally like, I'm embarrassing myself. So people who give terrible sermon illustrations also allowed in the party. So I was invited. Uh, so they bring them all in, and the master is so pleased, so pleased to have this party of ruffians and people who have no business being there. Uh, and he comes down, he sees all this nobody's at his parties, and he's loving it, except he sees one thing. He sees one person, one man. He sees one man. One of those nobody who's come, he's, he's, he's been welcomed, right? But he hasn't put on his wedding clothes. We don't know if he's, he's an evil type or if he's a good type, but he's somebody who's just took the invitation, but he didn't bother to get dressed. Well, that's, that's really what it comes down to. He didn't bother to get dressed. He took the invitation, he didn't bother to get dressed. 
And it's not that he didn't have the clothes. We'll see in a little bit. The master was like, well, tell, tell, me, tell me about this situation. And I mean, if the guy had said, well, I don't have any wedding clothes, I'm sure the master would be like, I've got some extra. Let me get some for you. But he didn't have, it was, there seems to be no excuse, right? He says, he said to him, friend, how did you get here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Didn't have any defense. Come to the party, but he didn't get dressed. He's there, right? He's physically present, but only in a sense, right? In a lot of senses, like we see this guy, he's like, I guess, he's like, I get invited, and like, I guess I'll show up. I'll show up. He's physically present, but he's only there in body, not in mind, not in spirit. He's keeping his heart from the party. He's somebody who says, I, I mean, I guess I'll go. It sounds okay. I don't have anything else to do. So I'll go, but I'll tell you this. I'm not expecting much. <laughs> I'm not even going to get dressed. That's how little I expect of this party. See, there's a risk to being so busy that you don't even show up at the party. But I think what Jesus is making clear in this parable too, there is a risk also in showing up but withholding yourself from celebrating, from being a part of the celebration that's going on. You could be unbusy, making time to be present with God, but then like you show up and you didn't bother to, to, to get dressed. That's a problem in this parable. I'm looking forward to ski season because it's starting to get cold. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to warn you guys in advance. The first really good powder day if I have an appointment with you, I'm going to be sick, okay? <laughs> um, just, just prepare yourself. <laughs> Check the weather if, like, in December, January, we, we have something, and be like, if I tell you I'm sick, be like, ah, I think he's lying. But I told you about it already, just so you got to remember, okay? Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of you guys will be there with me, so... I'm not, even, I'm not even embarrassed about it. Um, I'm going to take that morning off or whatever. Um, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there uh, to enjoy that powder day. Um, but say that blessed day comes. Blessed day that we're all looking forward to. Uh, there's a, a foot of fresh powder, and there's already enough of a base, and it's, it's going to be good. Um, and we, are, we go the night before. I go the night before, and I say, oh, it's coming. It's just inevitable. The weather people are just, it's going to be a blowout. It's going to be, um, it's going to be awesome. And I go ahead and I cancel my stuff. Um, and I show up there. I show up at the pass on this, on this great weather day. Uh, but when I get there, I'm wearing just shorts and a t-shirt. Now that's improbable because I don't wear shorts. But if I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt on this powder day, I'm going to get there. I'm going to start to get on the chairlift and everybody's going to be like, um... Are you okay? I don't know if anyone told you, but it's cold, and there's this stuff it's called snow, and you're gonna be like in it, and it's gonna be really, it's gonna be really bad, and and I'm just gonna like just go like, oh, like whatever, man, I'm I'm fine, I know what I'm doing, right? Uh, and then like after about ten minutes, I'm gonna just start complaining how cold I am, right? It's gonna be miserable. I'm gonna hate every moment of it. I'm gonna I'm gonna hate every moment. I'm just gonna say I'm not into this whole skiing thing. This is awful. Uh, the point is that. If I'm actually going to be a good skier, if I'm going to enjoy this awesome party, the ski party that I'm planning in my mind, then I have to be dressed for it. Um, and that's not because the manager of the ski resort are just such jerks. 
who demands so much of us, right? It's not because of the managers of the ski, ski resorts. They, they don't just hate me and they just like want to fit me into their box, man. It's not cool, right? Um, it's because for me to participate in the amazing activity called skiing, I've got to dress for it. I've got to be prepared for it. It's a reasonable response and a natural condition for my participating in skiing that I would be putting on the right sort of clothes. So we can read this parable and, I mean, get to what he says at the end. He says, many are invited, but few are chosen. We could read that part. and We could just, like, like be kind of upset with Jesus. Like, how uncool of Jesus. We have a tendency to read this and ask this question, right? We, we read the passages like this and we, like, freak out and say, well, am I chosen? Or am I just, like, invited? Am I not a part of this thing? But look at it. I don't think that's a relevant question to ask. Like, if I read the parable, that's not the relevant question to ask. The relevant question to ask is this. Did I show up to the party, first, first half of it, and the second half, and am I dressed? Am I ready to participate in the party? Those are the questions we have to ask. Like, those are the things that we need to be concerned about. So the gospel is frustrating for people because it's a gift like, unmitigatedly, forgiveness, adoption into the kingdom of God is on the basis that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died as a sacrifice, and his, his blood, his death, takes away our penalty for the sin that we've committed. And we receive that from him, not because we're great, we earned it in any sense whatsoever, but simply by faith. By trusting and putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we say, I am confident because of what Jesus has done that everything that separates me from God is now away, and I can be counted righteous, can stand before God, can come into the party on the invitation of the Son, and I can say, no, I know I belong here. Because I'm not showing up because I'm so great and rah, 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 good for me. I've impressed God with all my works. I belong here because I was invited in. I was invited to the party because of what Jesus did. It's a gift. But I think that anyone who's tried to, to live the Christian life for any period of time knows it is a gift that's given, but it's one that we have to participate in. Like any gift, like, I mean, my pastor in Connecticut, why I say this this time, man? Uh, he was like, if you, if, you, if you receive a gift, you have to actually take the gift. You have to actually open it up. If one of you guys gives me, um, what, what do I want? What's something that I want? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. A chocolate bar. <laughs> I want a chocolate bar. If, I have to, like, take that chocolate bar and I have to put it in my mouth to enjoy, enjoy it. This doesn't make a good paperweight. Can't bring it to the beach you got to participate in, in, in receiving things from the Lord. Like, you have to participate in, the, in this gift. And we have to see this. Like, we are invited to something. Like, on the invitation of Jesus, like, like he, he invites us in, and it's a feast. It's a party. It's not like drudgery. It's not like I have to come in on Saturday and fill out TPS reports for Jesus. It's not what... You got the reference. I saw it, Joel. <laughs> um, it's not being recruited uh, into an army to, to, to fight and die for Jesus and to earn our right to be a part of it. We are invited to a party, to a feast. 
a place of, of rejoicing and delight and just like, oh, how cool that I get to be a part of this thing. That's what life in the kingdom of God is like. It's that we've been invited into a party. And when I show up at a party, I don't show up just like, unless you're my children, <laughs> don't show up like, oh, you know, somebody... I guess I have to button my collar, you know. You, you come up ready to dance. You come up ready to participate. You come up ready to, to, to eat and enjoy and to socialize and, and, to, like, and like to, to enter into the celebration. And honestly, if you ever throw a party and like somebody shows up and they're like seven hours late and then they stay for like three minutes and then they leave and they weren't really into it at all, you're kind of like, eh. I mean, thanks for coming, I guess. I get it. it it's like that person didn't want to be at the party. It's, it's very clear. Part of be, coming into the party is that, is that we're a part of it, and it's a good thing. The worship team's going to come up here for a second. Uh, not for a second. To close the service. The worship team's going to come up here, and um, look at, I, I think one of the things that we have to do in order to, to come to the party, you don't have to like put on... I think for most of us, if we're coming to a party, we know what to do when we get there, as long as we just prepare ourselves for what we're walking into. We prepare ourselves for what we're walking into. We understand that, hey, man, when I get to come to church, when I get to, to, to not just church, but like meet God in my everyday life, you have like a mindset that goes along with that. And it's like, man, I get to meet with God and I get to hang out with him and it's like a good thing and it's a joyous occasion. And I think a lot of the times what keeps us from having a, a happy, a contented, and a growing prayer life is we haven't just like settled that in our minds. That the spending time with God is not just like, um, it's, not a, it's not a downer in any way whatsoever. It's something that if we're present to him, it is a joy. It is, it is good. He's a God of, of comfort. He's a God who takes, is so pleased by the little things that we could do. He's not, a, he's not heavy. He's not unkind. He's gracious. He provides everything for us. If we would just take it up and step into what we're invited into, we would have joy in it, and we would want more of it. A great party you don't want to leave. You don't get to the end of a great party and just say, let's get out of here. You say, oh, keep going, keep going. I mean, I, I go to bed at 8 o'clock, so if it starts early, <laughs> I can do it. You know, you, you enjoy the party. So I, I think like just like mentally, if we're going to have a life of, of prayer, a, li a spiritual life with God, we've got to overcome the false ideas that we have about what it's like. And so um, I want to just... Just share with you one last scripture, Hebrews 12. Um, I just love Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews here is, is kind of concluding this call to a bunch of Jewish believers who they'd been considering just walking away from Jesus. They kind of were just like thinking about, eh, maybe we're done with this Jesus guy. Like, he's not that great. Like, I mean, the party isn't, isn't so special. And he's, he's doing something. He's correcting their ideas and he begins, just the, the couple of verses before the verses that I'm going to read, uh, Hebrews 12, 20 and on, he's basically saying, it's not heavy. It's not, he, he compares it to Mount Sinai, which when, when the Israelites went 
out of Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai, and there was thunder and lightning, and they were really afraid, and it's like they couldn't touch the mountain because they would be struck dead. And he says to them, that's not what's going on with Jesus. He's, he's all the holiness of God, yeah, all the seriousness of Mount Sinai, but he's doing something else. And this is what he, he basically presents them is what's going on. Hebrews 12, 22. Instead, as in not that old mountain, Mount Sinai, it says, instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels a festive gathering to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. There's a lot of Old Testament references in there. But what comes through, I think, loud and clear is that what the writer is saying is you have to get over this old idea that this relationship you had with God is somehow like it's, it's terrifying, it's awful, it's, it feels like work, it doesn't give you any joy. And you have to understand that you have come to a festive gathering, an assembly of the firstborn of, whose names have been written in heaven. Like you have not come to a place of, of, of drudgery and difficulty in your life with God. You are invited in to the wedding feast, and it's good, it's awesome, it's great. Get it out of your head that this is not a good place to be. And I don't know what about me, because I do this all the time, I don't know what about me can't see that. But I sometimes I think I just need, I just need to... Um, have the Lord change my thinking a little bit. And that's what I'm just going to ask us to come into a moment of prayer for a second. And I'm just going to ask the Lord to, that we would just, 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 just stand before the Lord and ask God to do that. So could you just stand up again? I'm asking, sit down, stand up. It's just like, what is this, Catholic Church? Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, um, I just want to ask you, would you just like, can we just come before the Lord for a second and just bring him our ideas about who he is and just say, God, I'm just going to hold these with an empty hand. And I want my ideas of who you are to be shaped by what you say you are and what you reveal yourself to be. And so let's just, let's just, let's just come before the Lord for a second. Um, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you pour out your love into our hearts and that you reveal what's true. Lord, through your word, you speak to us. And God, if there's something in us that has misunderstood your goodness, your gracious graciousness, your, your kindness, and even misunderstood your holiness. Because you don't, you don't abandon your holiness, but you, you say we are welcome in your holiness because of what Jesus has done. Lord, if we have some, we're holding on to some idea that is keeping us from stepping into and enjoying this festive gathering of people who are bought and washed invited in and, and invited to be a part of, of a life with you, Lord. If, if we have something that keeps us from, from seeing that and understanding that, Lord, would you take that away from us? 
Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear about your goodness and your grace, Lord? Would you be present with us in a unique way as we seek you this week, Lord? Lord, would you... Would you show us your kindness, God? Lord, would you restore to us the joy of salvation? The joy of knowing that we have no business being at the party, but we're invited in and what a good place it is to be, Lord, in your kingdom, a part of what you're doing. Lord, deal with our hearts. We don't know how to fix them. Lord, if we have not trusted you, or if we're withholding some part of ourselves from you. God, would you heal that hurt? Would you take away the bitterness and the disappointment? Would you help us to recover trust in you? And Lord, I just pray that we would not be able to turn from the truth, Lord, that you are easily pleased as we turn in faith to you. Lord, you are pleased when we have faith in you. So whatever little thing that we have, Lord, we bring it to you. We want to participate with you and be a part of what you're doing, Lord. We want to step into, to leave the old behind and step into the new, Lord. Lord, teach us to meet with you the practical side and the heart side. We entrust it all to you, Lord. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Empower us to take steps of faith, to grow in you, in Jesus' name. We're going to worship, but we've got, uh, Dan and Britt are going to be available for prayer. They're going to be over in that corner over there. Um, And maybe you're just like in in a place where, you feel an invitation from the Lord. Um, if, if you feel that way, take a step of, of faith and go over and pray with them. Just be like, I just want to get over whatever the thing is, X, Y, Z. I want to get over whatever's in the way. And I just like, I need to, I, I need that from the Lord to, to, to bring me through. Like, it is powerful when we, when we bring our prayer to other people, brothers and sisters who care about us. And I know Dan and Britt care about you all. Um, so would you just go over to them and just like ask them to pray for you, whatever the thing is during this, this song, uh, to recover that joy. All right. Let's worship the Lord.